You're tuned into episode 168 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Hey, do you think Warner Brothers thinks DC Comics is basically clown comics because all they seem to promote is Joker and Harley Quinn? Oh, I thought you meant because it's run by Dan Didio. Because <laughs> it's run by a bunch of clowns. <laughs> Ouch. Sick burn, dude. <laughs> they might. I mean, they might as well call it Batman comics, and and that's not even a new joke. Like people have been saying that for like thirty years. They can call it C yeah. comics, which is just clown comics. It's getting worse and worse, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's twenty twenty. It'll all be clear when we look back at how bad these were. <laughs> twenty twenty. Pure hearts, pure vision, terrible jokes. Were you allowing an AI to generate those jokes for you? Yeah. See, now that's a joke. Thank you. Oh, that's what jokes are. <laughs> oh, boy. Nice to have you in 2020, Phil. Oh, it's good to be here. I didn't think I was going to make it this far. Well, we're hoping on it. Yeah, I mean, I bet against you, but... <laughs> I know you guys had bets on this. <laughs> you all thought I'd expire by 2018, but we we made it, baby. 2020, two years past that. Sweet. I thought for sure the the Taco Bell you had this afternoon would take you out. I didn't. That's going to be a real slow burn, I think, folks. (laughs) That's a next week problem. (laughs) By the end of the episode, I think we'll have an update on that. Uh, So we actually have a ton to talk about this episode. This week was a, there was a lot of stuff that dropped, a lot of big news. Uh, It's like everyone took off for the holidays or something, and then went back to work and said, all right, well, time to uh, drop some bombshells. So there's a lot on our plate, um, and a lot we're very excited to talk to you guys about, including letting you guys know where you can find us all over the internet. Uh, We are the Comics Pals, and you can get us all over the place by just Googling or whatever at the Comics Pals. If you want us on a podcast hosting platform that we are not on for some reason, at Mr. Marco Edamoto, and he will uh, he will help you out if he is so inclined to do so. Uh, if you want to write to us and speak to us, you can do so by hitting us up at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And, as always, if you want to get us on social media, well, we're at the Comics Pals there too. So uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you very much. Apologies for the lack of video we don't have Pete this week, and uh, we haven't really quite figured out the the backup plan for that, so no video, you can't see our lovely faces, uh, which is great because I look like a werewolf right now, but thank you anyway, you can subscribe to our channel, we really appreciate that, like the video, share with your friends, leave us a comment, all that jazz is free to do and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you. That's normally where the plugs would end, but I've actually got a little bit more to say uh, because we've got the TKO reviews. So TKO Comics is a company that is putting out great books right now. They were gracious enough to actually give us a few of their their most recent titles, their Wave 2 titles, to check out. And Kale and Marco were able to review them, so we're going to be putting that content out. Every single week we've got, I believe it's one review for you guys every Thursday, right? Yep. Yeah. So this this week we dropped, or for you guys, uh, I guess last week, we dropped the Sentient. Yeah, Sentient. 
and and then uh this week we'll be dropping the banks uh followed by pound for pound next week and then rounding out the month on the 31st with eve of extinction and we're all, we also did a publisher review sort of looking at tko as just like a a publishing house the the what they do um looking at at the books as a whole so uh a lot a lot that we got to talk about and uh a lot of fun uh how do you review the books let us know now tune in and find out ah i just want to know nah. i already put i already put my review full full spoilers on twitter so um listen to the episode but if you want to know about sentient it's already on twitter you're great at promoting yourself buddy I think I think it's it's fair to say that just based on our reactions when we previewed it, you know, we were all gonna love it. Mm. Uh, the creative team was fantastic. It just it just seems like the kind of book that like we want. And I think if if you're if you're listening to this and you are hungry for something different, a lot of you guys who have spoken to us at different points have reacted more to our conversations about non Marvel and DC stuff. So if that's what you're hungry for, I really feel like looking at TKO is is, is worth your while. Uh, and, and I mean, obviously, listen to these reviews and get the word from Kale and Marco. But just me as someone who hasn't had a chance to read them yet, I feel like that's the way to go. Um, and then the other things I wanted to talk about real quick are uh, we have a major interview that's coming up. We are going to be interviewing Al Ewing, the writer of Immortal Hulk, a book that has really just dominated over the last year and change. You guys reacted really well to our YouTube interview with him that we did at New York Comic Con, so we're speaking to him again. That's going to be dropping a little later in the week, and um, so it's going to be a very awesome conversation. I think you guys are going to want to listen to it. We're going to talk to him about everything, and it's probably going to be really long, but that's what we want to do that's what he wants to do that's what you guys want so that's what we're going to give you very exciting very exciting yeah very dangerous very exciting <laughs> <laughs> could be dangerous dude you never know uh, uh, yeah and we then, had so much yeah, we wanted to talk about with him at new york comic-con we ran out of time so like it seems like you guys on youtube uh want more al ewing this is your chance to hear him tell the whole story isn't his New York Comic Con interview the longest one we have as well? Yeah, it's like 22, 24 minutes or something. Yeah. Vers- versus the usual, like, like 10 minutes. 5 to 10. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it could have been a lot longer. We ran out of time. Yeah. And I, I mean, and that was just Phil talking to him. Like, you know, uh, we're going to, there's going to be more of us and we're going to have our own questions too. So it'll, it'll be really cool. And then, uh, last but not least, this is this is a really major announcement for us. We now have a Discord. Hey, yo. Yes. So we have a Discord. The link will be wherever you're listening to this. There will be a link to it. It'll be on our social media pages. You guys can click that link. Come join us. Come talk about comics. Come rip on us. Come tell us what you want to. You know, ask us for the show if you have questions, if you have comments, anything like that. If you don't want to necessarily even be on the show, but you just want to talk to us about comics, talk to each other about comics, talk about wrestling, talk about video games, whatever you want to talk about, we're down to talk to you guys about it. So join us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I love Discord. I'm very active on Discord when I feel like it. And if for the comics pals, I certainly... Not in... in, um, the other discord the competitions. That, yeah 
<laughs> but in my own discords, yes, I am. Uh, so, so yeah, it's it's gonna be cool. I'm really excited to talk to you guys on a more sort of informal level, I guess. So I'm a looking more forward to that. Intimate basis. Oh. Hey, just a question. <laughs> Why is this the first I'm finding out about this? Oh, we didn't want to let you know. We were actually hoping uh, you weren't going to be on this episode, but last minute you kind of popped up, so it didn't work out. Uh, yeah. Yikes, you thought you could oust me, huh? Yeah. Mm, uh-oh. Of the I've... four of us on this panel currently, you are not the one that's not on the Discord. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Sean, just a little peek behind a curtain. Here, I was trying to establish a bit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We're all but, uh, definitely on the Discord. <laughs> no one's missing. It's all normal. Everything's healthy. Everything's good. Uh-huh. And then and then by the time this episode drops, Phil will have made a liar of me, hopefully, by being <laughs> on the damn thing. Probably not. <laughs> oh, is all it right, Phil who's it's time not? to have that chat. Oh, take no. it to my warehouse. <laughs> is it for real? Is it Phil? Phil's not on it yet. <laughs> no, that's legit. <laughs> I I thought we were talking about the other one. Oh no 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 <laughs> no! <laughs> oh oh, that's funny. No, it's uh, me, listeners. I'm the one that's not on there. <laughs> I'm not surprised. You're 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 in our like our our group thread. Only every other six hours. That's pretty generous. <laughs> it's more than I'm in there. Uh, anyway, let's let's get into the listener mail. This is the kind of thing that you could send to us on Discord. You could email us. You could break it up, and we could have a, a whole major conversation involving the entire community on Discord. Uh, Marco, take it away and read this mail. All right, this comes from Ryan. Shout out, Ryan. Uh, and it's titled, <clears throat> if I do say so myself, Marco Rules slash the IP Wars. So you do say so yourself. What's the title of the <laughs> Oh, sorry. Marco Rules slash the IP Wars. Now, <clears throat> hi, pals. The dead speak. Or rather, I have returned from a period of absence with another classic email. First, please know that I greatly appreciate the shout out you guys gave me at the end of your year end episode. Once again, I want to thank all of you for always reading my letters when I write in. I also want to give Marco, heyo, a special shout out because he shipped me a number of great books he was looking to offload. I was really grateful for that, and right now he's a serious contender for Pal of the Year. Hey, number uh, five, mm. take a seat. Uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't sit down any further. <laughs> like, yeah, you definitely can. Get to the floor. <laughs> Savage. But uh, but outside of that, if uh, if anybody's actually looking for more books, we're gonna have a little thing on the discord so please hit us up uh we're looking to do some giveaways um you know on on there so definitely a place to, to chat if you're looking for something uh more to come on that yeah if you want marco to buy your love and affection that's the way to do it i guess <laughs> uh donate and gifting phil mm. i've been thinking a lot about the streaming and quote ip wars lately and can't really get can't get over what a seismic shift we've seen regarding not only the way c- we consume media, but also the way studios produce it. One evening at the movies last summer, I had an epiphany. After sitting through numerous previews, I thought to myself, 
The only one of these movies to which I would even consider buying a ticket is Terminator Dark Fate because uh. it's the only one that's part of a franchise I already know. I think many others have made this observation already, but from my perspective, it seems very difficult for original stories to be made into movies. Furthermore, even if those movies do get made, it's hard to drum up enough interest to make those films financially viable. I don't know much about how the film industry works, but it seems to be this way from my perspective. Also, when it comes to TV, when it comes to TV shows, there are so many options that in reality there are no options at all. By the time I'm done looking through them, I often say, "Well, I guess I just won't watch anything." <laughs> I feel you, dude. I feel you. you. Spend half an hour scrolling and you're just like, "That was enough." The this is a good problem to have, but it's also one of the reasons I think I read comics more than anything. There are a ton of options there too, but they're quicker to consume, and I just enjoy the medium more. I'll conclude with two book club suggestions. Cullen Bunn's Bone Parish. At 12 issues, you'd spend less time on this than when you did on Watchmen because it's less wordy and doesn't have back matter. And Phil, this one's for you. Grant Morrison's Nameless. I know you love Morrison books. And this this one is strange on the surface, but full of meaning. It's one of my favorite Morrison books, and I'd be curious to see if you pulled the same amount of stuff that I did from it. Sincerely, Ryan. Interesting. You know, Nameless is one of the Morrison books I haven't read. Really? Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah me too. So, uh, first off, thank you for writing in, Ryan. We always appreciate it. Glad you are coming into 2020 with us and hey. continuing the trend of uh, interaction. Last week, we had Will write in, and uh, this week, we've got Ryan. So, that's awesome. Who's going to make the third week in a row? That's what I want to know. Ooh, it's uh, going to be me. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, so... Speaking of Nameless, I actually picked up the first two or three of this, and I just couldn't get into it, Mm. so I stopped. Um, But I would love to revisit it because I feel like with fresher eyes, you know, more mature as a reader, I I could I could probably like get into it. I'll I'll tell you what my next idea for a Grant Morrison book club has been for a while, and you know I just. For whatever reason, I haven't chosen a Grant book for my month at the book club, but the one I had in mind was Flex Mentallo. Nice. Oh, that's a good one. Love Flex Mentallo. Haven't read that. Yeah. So that was, that. Um, Ryan, that's one I had kind of sitting in my back pocket. There's one that I think he did with Chris Weston, maybe. Uh, that's It's a very, like, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a very, um, it feels very, like, grimy filth and and really yeah i i think that's exactly it i'm really embarrassed now that that's <laughs> it. uh but uh, i tried to get into that one and boy i had a hard time with it that's a really good book it's a really weird one and shout out to cullen bun yo bone parish is dope yeah, uh, i figured I've, you oh, would have a hot take there yeah it's uh uh a, a drug in like new orleans and basically it makes you like relive the the past experience of the person's bones that you're taking because the drug's made from the bones of people. It's cool as shit. Oh, huh. Um, Interesting. Can we talk about how Ryan's sitting during the trailers of a movie and his only one that he thought about seeing was probably the worst trailer of all the ones shown was, oh yeah, Terminator, I know what that is. <laughs> all right, well, listen. First of all, dude, I don't want to hear you talk badly about Terminator, okay? Oh, I love the first two. 
I mean, yeah, it's not hard. Okay, anyway, Terminator <laughs> is fantastic. Haven't seen Dark Fate yet. Do want to, and certainly will. Uh, and I'm glad, Ryan, that you have the taste that you have because Terminator should light you on fire no matter how many of these movies they pump out. <laughs> you should always be excited for a Terminator movie. Yeah, and light your eyes on fire because how bad they are. You should always be excited for when they shit out a Terminator movie. <laughs> How could you say that when James Cameron came back to produce? And what good did that do? <laughs> did you see the movie? You tell me. Anyway, this isn't the Terminator Pals, although I wish it was. Sponsored uh, by Skynet. <laughs> uh, so to address what you're saying about the, the IP wars, as you put it, uh, this could be a whole sort of topic in and of itself. Uh, my initial feelings are that when it comes to film, uh, things are getting better, I feel like. There are a lot of... Tw- the, the 2010s were rife with movies that were fantastic that weren't necessarily part of any kind of you know big IP or anything like that. You just have to seek them out a little bit more sometimes. But even if you go to the movies and you watch these trailers, like they're, they're fantastic movies um, that, that do get there. So I think maybe nowadays it takes a little more effort on the part of the viewer because you are inundated with the the x-men's and the avengers so if an ex machina trailer comes on maybe that's not as flashy but that movie is phenomenal so when you go on rotten tomatoes and you see that review it's worth checking out so you kind of have to be a little more you have to curate a little more but i I think the movies are out there and yeah, this past year in major movie theaters, you had movies like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that was really good. You had Jordan Peele's Us that was really good. Um, you had Ad Astra with Brad Pitt that was really good. There were some really yeah. good like uh, sci-fi and and horror and 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 kind of period pieces that aren't too like artsy if that's not your kind of thing that were in giant theaters. I I almost feel like the 2010s. This might be crazy. I almost feel like the 2010s were better than the 2000s for those kinds of movies. Yeah, I, th- I would say so. This decade had some dope, dope sci-fi and dope horror. Yeah, especially the horror stuff. Very very like resurgence of uh, indie horror houses. This this year alone had uh, it had Lighthouse, which was amazing. It had Us, which I just mentioned, uh, and it Roma. had a. Uh, Roma is not a horror movie. Oh, is Lighthouse a horror movie? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I yeah. didn't see it. Right. So you're just naming movies. Nope. <laughs> Avengers Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Marvel was there. We had Shazam. Oh, the but Spiders Man. <laughs> to, to cap off our conversation about your email, uh, since you made those suggestions for the book club, well, I guess we're kind of contractually obligated to do them. So at some That's point this year, true. I would I would say that you can expect to hear book clubs about these two very books. And anyone else who writes in and has a suggestion for a book club, we're going to do it. So yeah. if you want to just put more work on our plate, go ahead and make a suggestion to the comicspals at gmail.com and we will read those books and make a book club. Hey, listen, motherfuckers, we going to read those books. Now, now... Sean's right. We all agreed that if a listener suggested a book, we'd have to read it and review it. So don't do it so I can pick more of my own books, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> trying to avoid Dreamo books this year. Do do it so that I don't have to pick any more books. 
Kale doesn't like comics. Don't make him actually have Kale. to talk about books he thinks he likes. Kale doesn't like hosting podcasts. <laughs> Uh, so with that in mind, definitely do go check out Gone Global. Uh, <laughs> you made him spit his drink out! <laughs> you dumbass! He's, he's, he's real bad at that podcast. <laughs> That's why it only comes out every full moon. <laughs> oh boy, this is fun. All right. So again, thanks Ryan for writing in. We really appreciate that. Uh, and we're going to move forward with a little bit of a, a thing that we used to do on this podcast that rears its head around every every so often. It's a question. What kind? That I might have. It's a little random. The, is it? the dice roll question of the week? Nice. <laughs> Roll that D20. What's the question? So this one actually comes from Twitter. Uh, Chris Arant, who is an editor at Newsarama, pretty prominent Twitter, uh, comics Twitter personality, uh, posed a question that I thought might be fun for us to tackle here. So he said, everyone's an expert on what comic books should be adapted into a movie, but tell me this. What comic book would make a great movie musical? No joke answers. Phil. Ah, oh, no joke answers? I'm out. The Joker. <laughs> Actually, The Joker would probably be a decent musical. <laughs> I mean, it was a musical almost. Yeah. The way he was dancing. That's not- this isn't an answer, but... Uh, Batman Brave and the Bold, the, nice. the animated show, had a ton of musical numbers. The uh, the the episode with the music meister was incredible. Yeah, uh, that Birds of Prey song was a banger. I, actually, I think I think it won a Grammy. Did it? Really? I could be wrong about that, but it won something. Huh. Um, my mind immediately went to Wicked and Divine for this. Um, yeah, or Murder Falcon. That shit's gonna be heavy metal shit. I, I'm really bad at things like this, so I feel like my answer is really bland, but it's Saga. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, okay. I can see that being like a West Side Story type thing. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, uh, what about... What about Hellboy? <laughs> no joke answers, you garbage person. I think that would be freaking tight. <laughs> are you really just gonna double down on that answer yeah i kind of think that'd be tight all um, right the, the other thing i thought of was um i i remember uh grant morrison talking about the dark knight returns and he described it as like an opera and i'm now thinking of that as an opera huh that would be sick maybe i, I... Funny story, when I first discovered how comic books were made and there were like, uh, there was a, it was in my copy of The Dark Knight Strikes Again, I saw the script. And so I took it to my theater teacher. I was like, oh, we could do The Dark Knight Strikes Again as a play. Look, the script is right here. (laughs) (laughs) And he Um, said, yes, of course. He went, okay, yeah, we'll take that under consideration. (laughs) Do you you know what would actually be like a really good theater play is uh, Tom King's Vision. Oh yeah, I could see that mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, like yeah, because it's all like a family dynamic kind of thing. I think you can really confine that to like a stage. 
Oh man, a Thor story. Hello, make it like a like a straight up opera, like an old like that uh, Bugs Bunny Viking opera. Yeah, yeah, like, like a straight up like like a like a Wagner. Kill the wabbit. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> kill the wabbit. That was sick. Strike the hammer. <laughs> kill the wabbit. Da, da, da. <laughs> I do like this a lot. <laughs> all right we had our fun it's time to do the pals pulls <laughs> did you mean that's where the fun ends <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, that's, where, that's where we usually stop having fun in the <laughs> <laughs> all right so marco's got two uh first up is tales from harrow county death choir number two yeah boy cullen bunn and tyler crook coming back to harrow county that was my shit. That was my book of like 2018 and 2019 almost. Um, and yeah, I, I, I love the series. I, I love that they came back to it to do. Uh, it's a four arc, uh, four issue like mini. So they're just coming back to tell some, you know, supplemental stories. And uh, I'm I'm just excited to see the team get back together. Uh, we, we've had Tyler Crook on in the past and uh, to hear him talk about what they what they did with with Harrow County was was really really fun and uh, go check it out like this is the my horror my horror book of the past five years. Wow. Okay. And then you also chose Rising Sun number one. So Rising Sun, uh, being published by IDW, it the cover just looked dope. It has a dragon on it with a woman shooting an arrow, and it looks like it's a very like Japanese sort of styled art. Uh, I just sort of saw the cover and the name. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And then the the little blurb of it is Chiyoko of the Koei clan leads a group of powerful warriors, the best each clan has to offer, on a mission to save Japan from dragons and monsters. Perhaps the greatest threat she faces is not the many monsters who are ravaging the country, but her own team. Dun, dun, dun. Um, Sounds cool. Yeah, so the, uh, the author is Ron Mars and... Oh. Uh, David Rodriguez and Martin Cocolo is the artist. Cocolo. I feel like Ron Mars gets a lot of crap on Twitter, but um, I read some of his his stuff like earlier on when I was re- when I first started reading comics, and I liked it. Thought it was yeah. good. I'm not familiar. He did a lot of stuff with like the the darkness and. And Aphrodite, what's what's their Uh-oh. universe? What's uh, Top Cow, right? Yeah, like okay. I read a, I read him in Top Cow, and I liked his stuff. So cool. And then uh, if you guys want to go back to that Tyler Crook interview, it's episode one thirty four. Oh, look at there that! That was nice. So Pete's not here, but I feel like in this segment, if we all put our heads together, right? If we really just think about it. We can figure out and determine what his pal's pull would be this week. Why is Life is Strange coming out again? What What else is there to say? (laughs) There it is. Uh, So... From Phil, we've got Incredible Hulk, the Peter David run, uh, in omnibus form. Yeah, hell yeah. This is uh, the best Hulk book 
ever, uh, except maybe the Immortal Hulk one that just came uh, has been coming out. Um, Peter David, when he was at the height of his game, man, he was one hell of a writer. And this this Hulk book gave so much personality to not just him, but Rick Jones and and Betty Brant. It's it's a it's a Betty who? Betty Brant is the Spider Man character, isn't she? Uh huh. Yep. <laughs> Try again. Mm. Oh, damn, what's Bet's, her name? Betsy DeVos. No. No. Nope. You know what? <laughs> nope. You're close, though. What's, what's she her? She did destroy the American education system. <laughs> <laughs> what's her dad's name? Uh, Ross. Uh, Hulk girlfriend Google. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Ross. Betty Ross. Right? Jeez. Betty Ross. I figured wow. it out. Yeah. <laughs> I I probably could have figured that out if I just took another second and be like, Ross, Betty Brant, nope, Betty Ross. Yeah. Anyway, uh there's some you know other really uh great character stuff here, like uh, there's a lot of Joe Fix fix it stuff, um who's like Mafia Hulk, great character. Um so it, it's coming out just in time for our conversation with Al Ewing, who's the other great Hulk writer. The other one. The only well, other one. <laughs> I mean, there have only been three or four. So. Yeah, well, the, the other one's Greg Pak. Those are my three Hulk All right, guys. So, he, so you're saying Greg yeah. Pak is the other other one? Oh, I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> well, listen, I'm going based on what you said. Yeah, I'm being, I'm being put in a corner. Nobody puts baby in a corner. <laughs> don't i know it uh i chose undiscovered country number three we didn't talk about issues one or two because i think that none of us read it but uh i did i i ended up reading them and <laughs> they're good undiscovered huh. country is awesome is it? This is the new Scott Snyder, Charles Sewell. Yes, joint. Yes, Giuseppe Camuncoli as well. The, this is their yes, book yes. and image. It's fantastic. Really? Yes. Uh, I have. Yeah. I had my reservations because there's certain things about the way that Scott Snyder tells stories that you know. But but no. But this is really great. Uh, it. I don't want to spoil anything, but I do want to describe it just a little bit to entice people. Uh, so, long story short, there's some plague that is wiping people off the planet at a rapid rate. And America basically dropped itself off the face of the earth like 30 years ago. They, they put up walls and stopped interacting with the rest of the world. So, because of that, presumably they're not infected. And not only that, but they've sent a message to the rest of the world saying, hey, come in. So the rest of the world sent a team of their best people to go into America to see what's up and try to get this cure to stop this plague. But once they get inside, they realize it's not what they thought it was going to be. And it's a really interesting story, a cool journey, and I'm so excited to see what they have in store for us with this book. Cool. Oh, yeah. nice setup. Thanks. <laughs> it was. It made me want to read the book. 
Well, hopefully you do. It's I think it's worth your time, and I think you might you might enjoy it. it it's two issues in, so you know, it's not a huge investment. All right, so let's jump into the news. There's a lot to talk about, as I said, and we're gonna start with what I think is the biggest thing that happened this week, which is that, uh, well. Doctor Strange 2 doesn't have a director anymore because Scott Derrickson left the project. Uh-oh. That's a bummer. That's a true bummer. Yeah, so uh, Derrickson, this was reported by Variety first. They they were the ones to, to put this out there. They say that uh, he decided to step down. Uh, the statement that came from Marvel made it seem more amicable or more of a mutual decision uh, they say Marvel Studios and Scott Derrickson have amicably, amicably parted ways on Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness due to creative differences. We remain grateful to Scott for his contributions to the MCU. Derrickson, he put his his word out on Twitter and he said, uh, Marvel and I have mutually agreed to part ways on Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness due to creative differences. I am thankful for our collaboration and will remain on as EP. So, on its face, this sucks, because, you know, he seemed to have a vision and he's been very attached to the Doctor Strange character. I feel like this was a little bit... uh, This was a little bit telegraphed. And the reason why I feel that way is because of the way that Marvel's been talking about this movie recently. So first, it was Mar- it was Marvel's first horror film, and then they and then Kevin Feige said, "Well, it's not a horror film, but it does have some like horror elements to it." Okay. And Scott Derrickson is a horror director. Yep. So I feel like maybe he wanted to take it more in a certain direction. They might have wanted to in- infuse more of the Scarlet Witch story to it because we we've been talking about that a lot lately, the Scarlet Witch factor of that film, and I just think maybe, maybe maybe Marvel was a little too hands on again. We know that's happened before. So you think he was making it too scary? I mean, it's a superhero movie. They're gonna want kids to come see it. Boo. Yeah. I- yeah. That that's what that's the downer here is. It's the thing that bums me out about. Marvel stuff is, you know, the trade-off of having someone at the at the center of kind of creating a cohesive universe for these movies is it it sacrifices kind of that our tour vision and um the idea of like a really horror based um Marvel film was really like interesting to me but I think at the end of the day Disney is making movies that at the very least have children in mind and uh children and horror don't really go well together um in terms of like as an audience i i should say so uh, it sucks well and even still traditionally horror movies don't do well at the box office in the first place yeah so i can't imagine disney would want their name attached to one in general and and I was somewhere like along the lines with uh, with Phil, where like the the horror aspect definitely interested me because I wasn't very high on the on the first Doctor Strange movie. I thought it was okay, and, yep. and this was the thing that was like, oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Like this is something they're trying they're trying to do different. It's uh, pushing the the envelope a little bit, but I guess he pushed a little too far. 
Presumably. You uh you can't push the envelope at Disney. <laughs> I feel like this is a blow in a, in a in a few ways because this movie is the one that they've really kind of touted as being the one I feel like this and Eternals, the ones to watch for as far as like story goes, like continuity. And now they they push uh WandaVision into twenty twenty. So this movie's supposed to come out in twenty twenty one. So if they can't find a director like real soon, this movie cannot come out in twenty twenty one. There's no way. And th- at that point, what happens? If they have to push it back, does it get pushed back one year to two years? Now you're starting to get into a weird area because how reliant were they on a specific timeline? It's a great question. It's a it's a genuinely very good question. And 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 if they are really dependent on a specific timeline, they might really push this movie out at the expense of the quality of it. Which I would hate to see because this was the only movie, to be frank, that I was like really excited about. Yeah. And, and it wouldn't be something characteristic of what we've known of Disney's Marvel films, but you know, things are a little different right now. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna, I was just going to say this is uh, you know, this is post Endgame. Like the main uh, business is is done it's taken care of you know um so now with setting up the building blocks for another age of marvel like what you know if if that if their their first big foray into this into this realm is continuously pushed back like what does that say nothing good <laughs> you know nothing positive uh and and, and again like the first movie we're getting is Black Widow, which for several different reasons, the conversation around that movie has not been the best, you know? So, it's just kind of like back-to-back negatives. Now, of course, you know, this is just us chatting here. All of this could be righted very quickly. They could find a great director, and it could be no problem. But if Black Widow doesn't do so hot... Eternals, who knows? That's kind of up in the air. I feel like Doctor Strange and Thor are the linchpin films of this phase. They need to be good. It feels like they're they're setting up the expectation for that, and because uh, to, to your point, I don't think any of us are really looking at Black Widow to want to drop information or to really set up anything else. But those are the two that there's just so much weighing on the Eternals and 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 Doctor Strange. I feel like I feel like they they wouldn't release Eternals without some some sort of Guardians esque idea, you know, some some slight shift in the in the mainstream consciousness of what you know Marvel is at the moment. Uh, but Black Widow is such an interesting thing to me because it and and we've said a lot of this. It's it should have been a phase one movie, even a phase two movie. And the trailer came out of nowhere and nobody liked it. A lot of people didn't like it. It wasn't, you know, it it didn't get, you know, the critical praise that most Marvel films do. 
and uh, I'm just I'm I'm so curious as to how this movie is going to go down. And I mean, you know, what that might say for Doctor Strange. Yeah, I, I mean, look for me, I think that it's 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 interesting what's going on right now, and and there's a, a wee bit of concern. I still don't ever bet against the champion in sports, you know, whatever. I tend to ride with whoever's got the belt, and Marvel does. So I feel like there's something under the hood of Black Widow that's going to make that movie exciting, whether it's a reveal, whether it's, you know, who knows what it is. Something, I feel like they've got something there. I think they write the ship with Doctor Strange. We saw what happened with Ant-Man when they lost uh, Edgar Wright, and that movie ended up being pretty good. Um... There have been other situations. Sometimes it didn't work out so great, but, you know, uh, I, I don't feel like this is the end of the world. And I'm gonna, I'm going to choose to remain confident and hopeful for Marvel's future. Yeah, fair. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Could be good. Could be good. So, uh, something that I actually am surprised by. Uh, my reaction to is the trailer for New Mutants. Now, for a lot of people, this is going to feel like, uh, you know, a glitch in the Matrix, because I think we did this before, like circa two years ago. But we are here in 2020 with a trailer for New Mutants. And it's kind of good. That, that, you know what? Looks pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, Usually when these things are put through uh, development hell like that, post-development hell, you think there's no way this is going to be good. But it looks really promising. I actually had a few moments while watching this trailer where I just had like a genuine smile on my face because I was so happy with how it looked. And just these characters, right? Like, I really enjoy quite a few of these characters, especially with what uh, Jonathan Hickman's been doing, getting to kind of refamiliarize myself with some of these guys and girls. Um, so it's it's cool to see them on screen, especially Ileana Rasputin. I love her magic. And so to see her here, and she seems like a badass, right? Like, to see Rain, like, this is just crazy. Good cast, too, of, of younger actors here. Like Maisie Williams is Wolfsbane and uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who was in The Vitch and, and Thoroughbreds uh, and, and Split. She's terrific as as Ayanna as Rasputin. And then the, the dude from Stranger Things, the brother. Yeah, yeah the Stranger yeah, Things yeah. guy. I Charlie don't remember Heaton. his name. Charlie Heaton as Cannonball. That's These are some really good younger actors. Yep. Is he Cannonball? Yeah. Yeah, pretty sure. Oh, I'd be wrong, I guess. I, I, I like the, the aesthetic. It it made it made a lot of sense for what was sort of going on. Um and so this is now a Marvel movie and they said mutant. And so like that's canon now, right? Okay. Like, so glad you brought that up. Cause, Cause we were talking about this last week. Yes. Right. Okay. So last week Marco made the point that I thought was great and we you know, we touched upon it. Uh, was that maybe New Mutants ends up actually becoming canon, and they just use that as the intro. So in the 
uh, D23, which is like their fan club email blast associated with the trailer, they said, uh, I don't have the quote right in front of me, but they said something to the effect of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is being joined by the mutants with this movie and whatever else. That's right. Yeah. Well, the next day, that wasn't there anymore. Uh, yeah. They removed yeah. it because that was a mistake. Oh. So this isn't actually an MCU film. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> um, unless shit. it does, uh, unless it does well, and then we'll talk about it. Yeah. Right. Damn, that's whack. I was really, I was really looking forward to that. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that uh, your your hopes have to be totally dashed because if you look at this right, you have a quality cast. With actors who are currently relevant, uh, you have a premise that looks cool and interesting. I don't think that there's that it's outside the realm of possibility that if this movie does well, that they don't at least keep the cast. Yeah, but you know Marco, he's a real MCU head. He really just <laughs> he hates superhero movies that aren't in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's not going to care about this. Yeah. Now. Not now. <laughs> I'm such a huge fan of continuity. Uh, <laughs> just Savage. that subtle twist of the knife, my friend. Uh, yeah. So, but let's talk about, let's talk about the trailer a little more. So this, this movie is, is obviously very obviously a horror movie. Uh, fun fact this is actually the original version of the movie that was put together by Josh Boone, not oh, nice. the uh, the retouched, uh, reshot version that Fox wanted it to be. They didn't, they didn't go with that. Good. So, and it and it looks really good. So basically, this movie is taking place in like this house that very obviously is haunted by something or other. With a creepy woman who is torturing these kids, basically, and I—I don't know if you guys had this feeling, but I actually looked at this as like a, like a funhouse mirror version of Xavier's Mansion, kind mm. of. Nice. I thought it was in a an asylum. Oh yeah, no? cool. It, it it it's in something like that. But the reason why I say that is because like the kids are sitting around with this woman who's you know trying to talk to them about what it's like to be a mutant and you know all this stuff trying to make them feel comfortable and i got xavier vibes but then it's actually insanely creepy uh you know what's what's going on so um that was my take on that um and i just think i just think it looks the visuals are awesome the horror elements are really cool what about you guys kind of made me think of the what was happening in logan where uh you know, Wolverine has to rescue all these kids that are being like experimented on. Oh yeah, and that's that, that's kind of the vibe here. Where I I got the impression that like there are some kids that are being experimented with, and you know, there's no burly Hugh Jackman to come save them. He's busy in Australia trying to put out fires right now, so he's not coming. <laughs> um, so the kids got to save themselves here. Yeah, uh, it 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 plays well into the fact that, you know, they themselves think that the powers, like they don't, they don't really understand that they, the powers and they wouldn't understand that they have those powers. So to play into like the, the psychological aspect of that was very, uh, what is it? One flew over the cuckoo's nest. 
Mm. Yeah. Right. You know, oh, that, that, yeah. that's the vibe that I got. All right. Okay. So this is actually a, I believe it's a loose uh, interpretation of the Demon Bear Saga, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. From yeah. Yes, it is. The New Mutants run by Bill Sinkiewicz. Yep. And Sinkiewicz. Sinkiewicz, sorry. And uh, this was originally supposed to be a trilogy. Now, I don't think that that part of it is going to go down just because, <laughs> like, <laughs> the nature of this thing. But Yeah, we just talked about how they won't let Doctor Strange have a horror movie. There's no way they're going to do a trilogy of them for the New Mutants. Yeah. Who do you think this woman is? Like, do you think she's anyone from the books? Moira McTaggart. Imagine. I kind of wondered. Yeah, I kind of wondered. Like, I don't really know who well she, uh, Mad- uh, maybe a different version of Madeline Pryor, maybe? That'd be wild. Alice Braga, I really appreciate her as an actress, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually hyped that she's in this movie at all, but, um, I, I, th- I, I actually have higher hopes for this movie than, like, any other superhero movie that, that has been announced for this year. Yeah. So, yep. Same. Yeah. Damn it. That's wild. I wish we huh? had done our predictions now, not you know two weeks ago. Like I always say, the <laughs> the Fox movies are best. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, listen, Bloodshot's gonna be better, no question. But this will, I think, this will be good. Nah, this is definitely a contender again. This is gonna do better than Bloodshot, I think. Yeah. Do do better. Yeah. Not for me. Financially. All right. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're going to pay to see both. So actually, it's going to be about equal. He's going to go see yeah, one twice. That's not better. <laughs> you know what? You're right. <laughs> All right. That puts an end to that one. Sure does. <laughs> uh, so jumping over to the MCU, we just talked about Doctor Strange, how that's not looking so hot. If... That movie doesn't do so well, or there's problems there. I think you have to look to Thor, Love and Thunder, and you have to look to Taika Waititi to write the ship. And bolstering that ship, allegedly, because he's in talks, is Christian Bale. (gasps) What? The greatest crossover? Batman and Thor? Yes. Yo, badass, son. That's kind of cool. I'd like to see. Uh, you, you think Batman could hold the Mjolnir? Why is, no. Why is Thor wearing hockey pads? <laughs> why can't I pick up this hammer? <laughs> Alfred, help me pick up this hammer. <laughs> you do all those lousy push-ups, Mr. Wayne. Why can't you pick up this hammer? <laughs> Was that Michael Caine? Whoa. <laughs> How'd Michael Caine get in my house? Wow, Sir Sir Michael Caine, thank you for joining us. In my house. Wow. Why would you visit Kale? Uh, it's a weird choice, I know, but I just... <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd stop by. I'm a big fan of the uh, of the podcast. Thanks, dude. Podcast. I mean, sir. <laughs> All right, so Christian Bale is going to be joining the cast. He's in talks right now. To appear in the movie, but we don't know who's going to be t- who he's going to be playing. Uh, the rumor 
is that he's going to be playing Beta Ray Bill. That's what everyone is going with. Bitch! But <laughs> I, I felt like that wasn't good enough for someone of Christian Bale's caliber. And so I felt like the comics pals needed to decide who should be. But guys, Christian Bale, who should he play in Thor Love and Thunder? Joyzy Batman, he's here. <laughs> <laughs> he's ready to take Thor down Atlantic City. What's that, Natalie Portman? Your character's got cancer? Let's gamble up the night away. We don't have to worry about the cancer no more. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, here's the other thing. Stories about Nat- Natalie Portman with ca- cancer. Canadian Wolverine. They've got healthcare up there. Oh, that's Good right, point. Hoser! <laughs> they definitely don't have healthcare in Asgard up in Scandinavia. But we got the best thing for you. You drink some Molson and you'll you'll numb away that cancer and you'll feel great, eh? We'll take you to a Tim Hortons. We'll get you a French crawler. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god what if what if he actually what if it was a crossover and he actually brought his character from uh terminator 2 or terminator 2 uh terminator 4 over and he played john connor in the movie and he just verbally abused all the cast members <laughs> you want me to crash your lights <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> you got you got anything to say to this prick, McGee? <laughs> <laughs> He's so versatile. I, literally, I have that memorized. That's so funny. <laughs> you have it all memorized. Him harassing this poor dude that was working on the stage. It's the best. It's the best. Uh, so yeah. Any other ideas as to who Christian Bale can be? Puck. <laughs> That's insanely bad. <laughs> Come on, Thor. This will be a real slap shot. Also, Danny DeVito. <laughs> I love all of these suggestions. Uh, Marco, uh, you have any thoughts? Shit, man. I don't know anything about Thor. I, you're lucky I know who Beta Ray Bill is. He's an alien horseman. That's where it ends. Marco, just curious. Is 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 John Connor a Thor character? Or uh, no? Sounds like it. Sounds like it. <laughs> so far, no one has suggested a character from Thor. Yeah, it's true. No one has, Marco. Thor, Heimdall, John Connor. That makes sense. <laughs> right. Uh, Idris Elba was there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he could play Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> also a Thor character. They both totally. don't wear shirts. So, before I tell you who I think he's going to play, and, and by the way, the writer of the damn books agrees with me, what do you guys think about the Beta Ray Bill angle? Yeah, he uh, he's like the best Thor character, so he should be in these movies. 
I don't know if he's best played by Christian Bale, but uh, he should be in these damn movies. Is Christian Bale English? He's Welsh. Welsh. Okay. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. Horseman with a Welsh accent. Yeah, I'm here for that. Because here's the thing. You just get him to speak Welsh. Like, for real. And it will be like some weird alien language. <laughs> you guys ever seen the Welsh language? <laughs> Every word is 13 letters long and there are no vowels. Uh, Beta Ray Bill, from what I know of him, interesting. Oh, very that's, insightful, my friend. That's yeah, all that was... I can say. <laughs> wow. So, when I saw this, I saw the Beta Ray Bill. I heard that, but I was like, "No, nah, I don't really buy that. I don't. I don't believe in that because I feel like Christian Bale's probably not going to do more than one of these things, and I think Beta Ray Bill needs to stick around a little bit." Uh, so who else could he play? And in Jason Aaron's run, there's a character who's actually a villain uh, named Dario Agger. He is the CEO of Roxon Corp. And he, first of all, he looks like Christian Bale, kind of like if you look at the character, there's definitely a like a, a resemblance. Um, and second of all, he turns into a minotaur. He's like a oh cool yeah he's a badass like monster uh so i feel like christian bale could absolutely play that role a one-off um they're introducing uh lady thor here natalie portman is gonna become thor and so that was her main antagonist for the first like however long of that run so i think that character being represented here makes total sense it's it's weird that Christian Bale kind of gets routinely typecast as a sleazy Wall Street type guy. And he gets typecast in that type of situation, I guess, because in American Psycho, he played like a, a Gen X like psychopath from Wall Street, which I feel like is why he got the part to play Bruce Wayne in Christopher Nolan's movies, who was like, oh, he could play this type of guy. <laughs> Just got to get him to do yeah, the other part yeah, of it. Sure. Yeah, sure. And now it's like, you know what, Christian, we need you to do it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, the, the thing about this character in particular that I feel like would, would make it fun is that he's a like he's he's crazy. Um, when he when he wiles out, like he starts to grow horns and get red eyes and and like he just says wild things. So I just think Christian Bale could really stretch and have fun with the role. Yeah, it's gonna be crazy to see him do that in real life. He's he's <laughs> <laughs> he's he's fucking nutty. Uh, as like I don't, I don't know if he considers himself method, but he's one of those guys that will go to like the extra nine yards to do crazy shit. So I think of like American Hustle, where he gained like a lot of weight to the point where his doctor was like, "This is really unhealthy for you." Or well, yeah, and the 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 older one where he went deadly thin. Uh, I, I can't remember uh, American what that was. History X. No, no, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, the it was Machinist. Yes, that's it. The Machinist. You're right. Yeah, Edward Norton was American History yep. X. Uh, or, or fucking Vice, where he plays Dick Cheney, and it's another similar thing where he's like in a wheelchair and overweight. Yeah. And... My man could have fun with this, is all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, so... And he could push his mom down the stairs. <laughs> uh, 
That's a thing he. The dream. That's a thing he did. I think. What? Dick Cheney. <laughs> that's believable. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, I look forward to Christian Bale's arrival in the MCU. Uh, I just hope that, uh, you know, <laughs> there are no incidents like the one that took place during the Terminator <laughs> filming. <laughs> so, moving right along, this is something that I'm really personally excited about, and I'm really happy that this is happening. Brian K. Vaughn, uh, we've been, I feel like we've been talking about him quite a bit on this podcast lately just because of his deal with Legendary. And uh, he's got another one. Because the Hollywood Reporter is is reporting that uh, they're developing an ex machina film, Legendary is. So we're going to see uh, Anna Waterhouse and Joe Shrapnel team up to write this film. Uh, they wrote the, uh, the movie uh, Seaberg. Um, and then the, a movie called The Aftermath. It's a World War II film. Um for those of you who are unfamiliar with Ex Machina, so my familiarity is this this was like one of the very early books that I ever read that was not Marvel or DC. Huh. And it's a book about uh, a guy who is running for office. And he, he's he actually, yeah, he's running for office. And, you know, he's doing his thing, but he... He's he's a superhero. He like he he has this costume and stuff. He's got this whole getup, and when nine eleven happens, he actually uses his suit to fly around and try to save people. And because of that, he actually becomes the mayor of New York. So, the story the story is really focused primarily on him as a politician. But there are lots of flashbacks to his life as the Great Machine. That was his. That was his hero name, and how his life as the Great Machine kind of affects his life as a politician, and how some old ghosts come back to haunt him. And it's really cool. Very well done. It was my first introduction to Brian K. Vaughn. Highly recommend it. Can't wait for it to be a film. Your move, Bill De Blasio. <laughs> Please no. Uh, that that that's really cool. I uh, I knew it was about like uh, it was more political and like about a mayor. I always thought it was like a mayor being a superhero, um, but it's interesting to that it focuses more on like the political aspect. Uh, and it's always been one of those that I've been meaning to go back to because it's one of Brian K. Vaughn's earlier works. Yeah. So uh, and obviously he's been knocking out of the park with a lot of what he's done, uh, Paper Girls and uh, Saga and all that stuff. So. Uh, it, it's one of those to like to kind of go back to, um, so yeah, this is really cool. Uh, excited to see it uh, on the big screen. It won't actually be called Ex Machina when it comes to screens, though. They're changing the name, probably because of the other Ex Machina. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, well, it's yeah. So they're gonna call it um, the Great Machine, which I actually think is a really great name. Yeah, I like that. It's cool. Isn't it steampunky? Yes. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. It was my first introduction to steampunk. Oh, really? And your yeah. last. <laughs> no, hello, Becky Lynch. 
<laughs> that's fair. That's that's yeah. completely fair. Uh, so yeah, just I just want to throw this out there. I I really love this book. I think actually, this it, it, I've got to fill my book clubs for the year. Uh, this is probably going to be one that I recommend we read. Nice. Hey. Yeah. Unless you so. listeners keep giving us books to read. Why not? It's not like we have anything better to do. Here's another book that we should probably be reading. Black Hammer. Dark Horse. Hard agree. Hey, listen. <laughs> Hard agree. I don't think any of us read Black Hammer, right? None of us? No, definitely not. Oh, we better skip this news. Down. All right, moving right along. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> so Black Hammer has been on a roll lately, and it's not slowing down because... Jeff Lemire and Tyler Crook are going to be putting out a miniseries uh, set within the Black Hammer universe. This time, it's going to be called Colonel Weird Cosmogog. Uh, and that's going to be a four-issue run on their part. And it's, do either of you know who this character is, Kale, Marco? Yeah, uh, Colonel Weird is in. He is in the main books. Actually, this will be. I believe this will be the first book about a, a one of those characters. <clears throat> um, so, uh, just a quick uh, background of the the story. Black Hammer is about a group of superheroes who, uh, ten years ago, they were in a fight against a, a big cosmic being in in the middle of the city, and then. All of a sudden, they're stuck on a farm, and all they know is they can't leave, and they have to figure out how to live their lives on this farm. What? Whoa. Um, And so the book takes place uh, 10 years after that, Um, and uh, there have been uh, various sort of uh, spinoffs and um, little extra dips into the the universe, Um, but... Just like just when I think, ah, I don't need to read this, I pick one up and I'm immediately hooked. <clears throat> Jeff Lemire is, and I, I actually I say this in in um, our sentient review. Jeff Lemire is one of the writers that I continuously look at and go, oh, I probably know what that's about. I don't need to read it, but he always gets me. I love Jeff Lemire, and I don't know why I have this opinion of him. Uh, but I, I love uh, everything Blackhammer. Yeah, he's an he's an excellent writer. Um, his Animal Man stuff, the 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 bit he did with um, Moon Knight was incredible. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, again, Sentient was amazing. So this is this is really cool. What Descendant? Oh, Descender. Yeah, Descender. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 Descender. Yeah. Descender. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, overall, he's just he. I feel like he always puts out really, really good work. Um, I I was excited for this because Tyler Crook is going to be doing the art, and it looks like. Uh, so I follow him on Instagram, and he puts up a lot of like art progress, and he's been doing stuff with uh, sort of changing up his style a little bit. He still does watercolors, but he's been putting in in a lot of uh, like oils uh, to some of his art to accent a lot. So it just looks phenomenal. Uh, phenomenal art and and being teamed up with jeff lemire um, i'm definitely picking this one up what's a what's a good jumping on point is 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 does that exist it's it's short enough uh that really if you start from the beginning it's not too bad 
uh, there's, uh, I believe it's the first volume. Uh, yeah, the first, there's one standalone volume, which is Black Hammer, and then there's Age of Doom, and then recently Age of Doom Part 2 came out, and I think those are technically two and three of the main story. <clears throat> and then everything else just kind of is just kind of tacked onto it to just kind of fill out the world a little bit more. Um, I really love uh, Dr. Star. Uh, it's got a, a long title that I can't think of. Uh, Dr. Star, uh, Sherlock Frankenstein. He's got to check the shelf, folks. <laughs> He's got to consult with his shelf. I, I can't I can't think of the rest of them. But, uh, yeah, Dr. Dr. Star is tremendous. <clears throat> but I say uh, start from the beginning because it is it is all fairly short and easy to easy to get into. I think I'm gonna do it. I, I really I really I like I hear about it all the time. You guys speak so highly of it, so I feel like I just need to dive in. I think uh, a big like library edition or whatever just came out not that long ago. That sounds correct. The art is really nice too. Uh, they, they've got uh, Hollywood Reporter has some some uh, preview pages and they're beautiful. Yeah, so. super super yeah. vibrant. Yeah, April twenty second for the first issue of that. So another series that I have no idea about. This one actually though is being translated into a Netflix show, and we got our first trailer for it. It is Lock and Key. And I had no clue at all what to expect, but I was blown away. Yeah, this uh, this trailer of the batch of trailers we watched, this was my favorite. Yeah, okay, yeah. speak on it. <clears throat> Joe Hill, right, Marco? Yeah. Yes, sir. Joe Hillstrom King. This the this trailer it reminded me of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but about keys and real horror. Yeah. Not like the imagined horror of like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. No, that's a real horror. But like <laughs> someone gets turned into a giant right. blueberry. Uh huh. <laughs> but the real stuff. All right, I'm glad you're comfortable with turning into a giant blueberry. But go on. I said my piece. Okay. Uh, Just because you interrupted me four different times doesn't mean I. Fair enough. Uh, I felt like <laughs> I felt like kind of a lemony snicket vibe out of this mm. oh yeah um which uh has never been super my thing the series of misfortunate events um yeah i, I wasn't left super uh into it oh <gasps> what really yeah it it felt like something for <laughs> i'm about to be very mean to you too i was like this feels like something for teens so interestingly that's what i felt uh, watching like the first minute of the trailer where I was like, oh, it looks like they've sort of diluted what the book is. And then as the as the trailer progressed, there's a part where one of the characters is like drenched in blood. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. They're going to they're definitely going to play on to a lot of the, the stuff that I know from the book, because the book is very much not not for kids. Um, it's yeah. it's just I, I would describe it as fucked up on in, on every volume of like, yeah, it's just yeah. It, it's basically about. The Locke family, which is why it's titled such, and these continual horrors 
that happened to them, these tragedies and their how they prevail and how they react to each of these things. Um, this this was the book that I, I was reading like last fall, and man, it I devoured. I, I devoured this series, so I, I was super super excited to hear that they were going to be producing something with Netflix, and then this trailer just like got me even more excited. Honest to God, and like I can't I can't stress this enough. When Marco says to me, "This is fucked up," that is like a a green flag for I should check this out. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. You will. You will not be disappointed. This. I don't know if they're going to translate similar scenes, but there are scenes that very much resemble like Jinji Ito shit, where it's just like, yeah, like yeah, gore yeah. and blood and just. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Amazing. Yep. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I would talk shit. I'm in. <laughs> I was just happy to see Darby Stanchfield. She's the I don't know she's the is. main actress, the the, the adult woman. <laughs> uh, I, the the, I, the woman in black or the 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 or mom the woman or who looked like a oh the mom, Julianne. Okay. What's her name? Julianne Moore? No. Who am I thinking of? I don't know. I don't know who you're thinking of. The red-haired lady. She was um, uh, Clarice. Hello, oh, Clarice. Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Thank you. Uh, I, I will say the um, the cast look look pretty good. Could like to to what I I would imagine some of these characters to be, especially the the youngest child, Bodie. Um, the yeah. The <laughs> the middle sister as well. Uh, being played by Amelia Jones and, um, I, they they look great. I I I think it's gonna be a really strong, strong show. Someone commented on the, on the uh, YouTube, uh, video for this. Someone said the Chronicles of the Haunting Hill and um, Umbrella Academy of Narnia origins, <laughs> and I just feel like, damn, like. <laughs> I, I like the trailer and everything, but I just feel like that's so apt. It just smashes together all these things that are, you know, hot and, you know, made a series out of it. Narnia was a, a good poll. I, I, I feel that. Had, yeah, slight. Marco, did you feel this slight Sabrina vibes? Oh, so throw Sabrina in there. Yeah, I did. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And I, I had a lot of fun with that. I, I had a lot of fun that with show that show. That show was fucked up. <laughs> it was it was it was fucked up, but it was campy. This is going to be much I had, straightforward, I think. I had myself an existential crisis after watching Sabrina. <laughs> oh yeah, issues issues summoning uh, Satan himself. Uh, that part I actually didn't have that much of a problem. <laughs> Kel is a is a mild mannered boy. He horror stuff really preys on his sweet mind. Listen, the the most recent show I'm watching on television right now is Quantum Leap, so I'm about 40 years behind (laughs) everything. That's insane. (laughs) Scott Bio thanks you. Bacula, nice try. Man, I'm really fucking up with names today. (laughs) The biggest surprise was that this thing is dropping on February 7th. Yeah, yep. I I did not expect it for like another year or something. Yeah, they they only announced the trailer a month or two ago. Yeah. I love when Netflix does that. Yeah. I don't want to always have to wait a year, you know, like show me the trailer then give me the show. Exactly. Yep. So, uh last and maybe least 
of the trailers that we watched for uh, the show this week that dropped this week is the presumably the final trailer for Birds of Prey. Oh yeah, at least yeah, definitely. Wait, Birds of Prey is that the full title? Birds of Prey <laughs> and the Fantabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn. Oh, that's what I know it by. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's an excellent well goof well played uh, we talked about the first trailer and we were all pretty lukewarm on it it had its moments but it wasn't really anything that particularly special that was not that long ago that we talked about that and now we're here talking about the second trailer uh what did you guys think about this is this only the second trailer there was a teaser trailer then an official trailer and then now this or yeah yeah man i i wish i hadn't watched this trailer (laughs) i feel i feel like that first one had like a a cool vibe about it if i'm if i'm remembering the right one uh and that had me kind of optimistic but as soon as Margot Robbie starts speaking <laughs> as Harley Quinn in this, I was out. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't actually like Harley Quinn. I don't want to watch this movie. Yeah, I I didn't need this trailer. And I think similarly, it kind of reminded me of, of the things that I didn't necessarily like about the first trailer and what I or how I'm not necessarily excited for this kind of like universe of stories because it felt along the same vibe of um what was the other one with will smith oh independence day (laughs) Um, and fucking nail i mean like i i didn't need this trailer this was it didn't it didn't entice me if anything it maybe just go oh this looks a little more silly than i remember it being and one thing i thought was curious was that they didn't necessarily highlight each of the actors as they would in a movie. They they focused on the characters. So I, I had two thoughts on this, and which is like I'm glad that Warner Brothers and and DC think high enough of us to be like, oh cool, like I know who these characters are. But at the same time, I don't like that. That's where we're necessarily going because it feels like. Uh, but all the all the fanboys go is like, oh, I'm gonna buy all of the the Batman books or the Superman books because I love the characters, and it's like you're you're showcasing the characters more than I think the talent. Interesting. You sound really pissed off, Marco. Yeah, I'm mad. <laughs> here's the here's the problem, right? And speaking to what you're talking about, this is one of those situations where I feel like the average person is more likely. To be even, even like in 2020, where everybody knows about comics, right? The average person is more likely to know these actors than these characters. Because other than Harley Quinn, which one of these characters has like name value, name recognition? They don't. So I think they have to attach these these actors to the names to give people an idea of what the hell they're even looking at. No, 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 but but in the trailer they didn't put the actors' names. They just gave the the character names. That's what I mean. Oh, oh, oh. that you look at you know um, 
oh my goodness, why am I blanking on her name right now? I I'm a big fan of hers. Uh, Sounds like Sean Rosie Perez, right? Rosie Perez, who's been around forever, super talented. You look at her. And you're like, what the hell is she even doing in this movie? She looks out of place. This is a superhero movie. Like, what's going on here? She's playing Renee Montoya. Okay. All right. I like Rosie Perez. I'll, I'll see it for her. You know? Um, you don't need to see her name on the screen to know who she is. But you definitely need to see that character name on the screen to know who she's playing. If, if, you, were, if you were a comic book diehard, right? And you knew everything about Renee Montoya and you saw this trailer I bet you don't know she's playing her yeah yeah and I felt like that about every single character except for Harley Quinn yeah I mean it's definitely um Harley and Friends the movie um I it's it's not for me really this movie um where's the guy stuff you know I want to see fast cars and dudes um (laughs) Hitting each other in the butt, you know, some dude stuff. Um, <laughs> um, I think this movie has an audience, and I also don't think it looks bad. Um, I think, I think while it's it looks really corny, I think I think this yeah. movie was made deliberately with women in mind, and I think there's a lot of women who are probably gonna be really excited to see this movie. I hope that that's correct. Uh, but I feel like the corniness factor of it, right? The part of it that doesn't look good. You can't appeal to women with a movie that doesn't look good. You know, like if it, if it just straight up just doesn't look good, that's a problem. And I don't think it looks good. But not by this trailer, for sure. I like that that first one we were talking about. To me, that one made me want to see it. Like that one, that was a high quality concept trailer that I thought was cool. Uh, but not this one. I will say the one part that excited me was it reminded me that Evan McGregor's gonna be here, and I'm like, yes, Obi Wan. <laughs> yeah, Mark only wants I to guess. see the guy in the movie. Yeah, we need more guy stuff. Where's the butt kicking? Yeah, where's that butt kicking? I hope I hope there's some brewskis. Yeah, oh yeah, some cold frosty ones for my dudes at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my football is there. <laughs> no one's playing with it, but it's there. It's there. <laughs> yeah, you know, in case they want to toss it around. Toss around that old pigskin. Oh, dude, we need more dude movies. This movie allegedly is going to be an hour and 40 minutes. Right. Which is really short. Yeah, that's a really brisk. By by today's standards, for sure. (laughs) Well, it probably won't have the problem that Rise of Skywalker did, where it's like they still made it two hours, but they're not going to cram a million things in there so that nothing makes sense. It's, It's probably going to be pretty light and breezy. Yeah, I just... I don't know. In, in, in a weird way, this feels like this looks and feels to me like a comic book movie from like two thousand and six, two thousand seven. Yeah. yeah, it feels like we're beyond this. We need yeah, those movies it, back it, again. It feels stripped of 
the reason why comic book characters gained notoriety and popularity in the 2010s, which was embracing the comic book stuff, not stripping away the comic book stuff. I feel like these characters don't even look like they're in a comic book movie. Um, it's like dark, but but like weird also. I, I don't know. I don't want to crap on it completely. I really liked Harley Quinn and Suicide Squad. But for some reason here, she's not appealing. And it's it like, I, I understand how that might sound. It has nothing to do with how she looks or anything mm, like that. Mm. As soon as she started talking, I was like, okay, Margot Robbie's Canadian, uh, Australian, and I hear it. Uh, I don't know what the hell she's talking about. Like, just, I don't know. I also think to, to that point, they like they don't embrace the comic bookie. Like, they don't have their their outfits like they they didn't seem like they had the costumes on like renee montoya is the question she's not all got up on on that huntress kind of look like a like a is she the question anymore she's not the question anymore. she's sometimes the question is she yeah but oh. like what i mean by that is in comics history she has been the question right but she was renee montoya first yeah she's the answer now <laughs> oh shit you motherfucker <laughs> but yeah like uh, like you know they don't look like their comic book counterparts i'm just gonna say it they don't they don't like at all the a- the actors don't resemble the characters they're not wearing their costumes they don't look like the characters it's hard for me to embrace that yeah that's all completely fair um what can i say um they look like some kind of suicide squad. Life. Hey, you know what? Life is strange. <laughs> what else can you say? <laughs> now that's in continuity. <laughs> so continuity. <laughs> so Phil, can I can I put you down then as being excited for this? Oh, I'm very excited. Let's do this, baby. It could be good. All right. You know what else could be good? A tweet by Rob Liefeld. Hell yeah! Fuck. In the main topic, we need like a we need like a stinger for this for that for that bit, a, a, like a Rob Liefeld theme song or something. <laughs> In the main topic, we're going to be talking about whether or not comic books today are uninspired, and this is coming sort of. It's inspired by uh, a tweet that Rob put out, and we're going to extrapolate from that and dissect it and, you know, have a, have a grand old time talking about that thing we love, comics. Can we, can we maybe instead talk about whether or not tweets from people in their 50s and 60s are uninspired? <laughs> La. I, no, hold on. I would like, that can be a footnote. <laughs> let's, the, let's, let's at least address that elephant in the room. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> As I said, Rob Liefeld, you know, he put out he put out some some tweets that were a little bit inflammatory, and he's 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 known for that. He's he's very honest on Twitter, whether you like him or you don't. He doesn't really have a filter. He says what he thinks. And uh, you know, a few days ago, January sixth, in fact, he said the following: Comic books today are not in a resurgence of creativity. Most are endless talk fests, just cackling heads. Bronze Age through 99 is the sweet spot. 
Do yourself a favor and check out Marvel Image DC Comics of those eras. Inspiring. So that was the first tweet. And then uh, five days later, he followed it up with, there is an absolute... There is absolutely a 20-year period of comics that built the comics industry up and, in all honesty, sustains it to this day. The works that are collected over and over and over. Evergreen. So, there's a lot in those few words. And I'm not really going to try to put words in Rob's mouth, but I'm, I'm really more speaking to a general opinion and a general state of the industry. And I think that a lot of people who either grew up reading comics in Rob's era or were creating comics in Rob's era, there's a lot of that sentiment that exists. And it made me think about the industry and how shackled to nostalgia it, it is. So you look at Marvel, you look at DC, the big two, they're still publishing the exact same characters that they were in Rob's era and in the era before that. And you could you could argue that a lot of those a lot of the creators of today are chasing the ghosts of their of their generation, the, the creators that they love. Look at what we just well a Marvel event that just ended, Absolute Carnage, right? What was that aping? That was aping Maximum Carnage. Civil War Two was an ape of Civil War One, which is you know whatever. Uh, Secret Wars was an ape of Secret Wars, right? And which was an ape of Secret Wars, <laughs> yeah. And on and on and on, right? With the same characters and creators who are inspired by the generations that have gone by. So when I thought about it like that. It made Rob's question worth looking at critically. And that's where I turn it over to you. Nah, that's a load of shit. (laughs) Those are the people that frustrate me the most uh, because they're they're what I feel keeps the the industry stagnant. They're they're the ones who are not always making the, uh, the necessary steps to advance the medium it's like it's like it's like a uh someone who's writing a novel and decides yo dracula that's the shit we need right now let's put out dracula 18 because that's what sells and and that's just it it feels it, it feels silly and and i to address uh what he, the second thing he said in terms of like oh you know the the books of the past are sort of carrying the books uh, or the, I guess the, the, the market. Yeah. Um, I, I would look to something as simple as like saga came out in 2000 and what, 11, 2012. And that is consistently the, the bestseller for, for image walking dead. Like that all came bef- after the, the nineties. So that point's invalid. Um, I think, I think the, the part I want to sort of skew here is I I don't I don't think that the creators or the stories necessarily are what's uninspired or uncreative. I think it's the the companies 
that feel shackled to the nostalgia. Right, right. So, you know, like what like what Sean was saying, you know, Maximum Carnage, which, you know, by all reports has been a top Absolute seller at Marvel. Oh, my, <laughs> yeah. Is an is an ape of Maximum Carnage. Uh, you know, by title. And you and know, premise. I think Okay, and premise. But my my point being, like, Donny Cates has done a lot more than just absolute carnage, uh, and he has done a lot for a lot, a lot lesser characters than Venom and Carnage. You know, I think I think just because the company needs the name to sell the books doesn't that I don't I don't see how that really reflects on the creators well it, it it makes it it makes it cyclical right where you have to sort of there's an expectation that you have to uh to what sean was saying like ape onto the the past or or you have to live up to to the ghosts of the of the past there's a there's a lynn ween quote that uh the, the the gist of it is that you know he was a fan of comics and the the people that he grew up reading were basically the the progenitors of 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 the the, the superhero medium, um, and he grew up reading these characters and reading these uh, these writers, and uh, he came into it as as a fan, and he would write as a fan, and fans want stories to continue, but they want them to grow. They they don't always want them to sort of circle back into themselves, which a lot of the times to me it feels like like they do. Like you you want to see you want to see growth from these characters, and you want to see change, but the to what the the nostalgia that the companies are shackled to don't allow for excessive change don't allow for consistent growth you have to go back to meat and potatoes and there's been this uh, sort of uh hesitation to strip away from that the, the moments where they try to do that like dc with uh was it dc with 52 and then going into DCU. dcu where they were straight up just like, now nah, we're bringing it right back. And it was only like after five years, which there was a lot of, you know, criticism and, and, and whatnot. But that's the purveying mentality. And if that's the purveying mentality, then the only market you're ever going to acquire is the market that is nostalgic for those creators and characters. And then the creators and characters who have to appease to those things are only going to create and use the characters that we've already seen, the stories that we've already seen. And that's going to continue to happen because they're trying to to stick to the cyclical nature of comics where i mean at the end of the day you can you can do that we know that you can do more than come back to oh you know peter parker is this teenage kid and you know he's he's in high school and he has to save there whatnot like you you can continue those stories and i there's a there's a fear uh, of doing that i feel like um which is why for me indies is a space to be for for like for me, comics not superheroes. But that's what I'm saying. Like the big two companies are doing this cyclical stuff. Yeah. Not like, and the creators are there. Like as fans, as you rightly pointed out, but also to get a paycheck. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Like, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not equating those two by any means like i'm not saying oh yeah donny cates is only doing carnage for the paycheck i mean he is 
but like that's his job. Right. He he's been lucky enough to get to write Carnage. What I'm saying is, you know, he's written uh, stuff like God Country. He's he's written other stuff at other publishers that has been massively successful and inspired. Um, let's let's really address the, the meat here, which is are are comics uninspired? And the answer is obviously no, because there is a myriad of just amazing books coming out of uh, out of every publishing company that are amazing. But this is not a unique criticism. This is a criticism that's been lobbied against the music industry and the film industry, um, more pervasively in the film industry, where you talk about how everything's a reboot or everything's a soft reboot or everything is a sequel or everything's a prequel. Um, or in the music industry, um, everyone is aping the same sound and there's no diversity of, of music on the radio and no one even listens to the radio. This isn't this isn't distinct. Um, and the thing is, you look at a director like Ryan Johnson, who you know makes a major Star Wars movie that's really divisive, but also puts out a movie like Knives Out, which is a unique, distinct film and gets a lot of praise. Um, the same thing happens with comic book writers and comic book artists. So when 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 you address whether or not things are stale and stagnant, it's like, okay, who's to blame for that? And I really don't think it's any... I don't think it's really creators. I think when you're a naturally creative individual who has all, all kinds of ideas and then you have to come line up for a payday with something that's less inspired because it belongs to a, a well-known name or IP like in comics, like a Spider-Man or Batman or in movies, also a Batman or Spider-Man. Um, uh, who's, who's, who's to blame here? Is it, is it a studio or, or is it a Marvel or DC or is it the consumer? Your Rod Liefeld who makes up the majority of this cons consumer base i.e. like 40, 50, 60 year olds who go to the movies and do stuff like this or buy a lot of comics and stuff and keep buying the same shit. Right. Yeah. I, and and I, I wholly put it on, on the consumer. Like I, I, I've said it in the past. Like I'm more than comfortable uh, cutting those people off and like that is, that is a consequence. <laughs> no, seriously, like, like that is a consequence of your wanting the same and the 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 nostalgia it, they are in my opinion the the people who who hold the medium back and and to that um the the point you made where like it's pervasive in other media as well like th that's 100 percent true and uh, comics i feel like are so much more niche where the two biggest players are obviously the the ones that people have the most immediate knowledge of and I think it falls on the consumer to just do more digging. There, there, there's, there's a myriad of more out there. I'm not even going to say better or worse. I'm just there's more out there, and I feel like the the people who don't do their due diligence are just going to be speaking into a vacuum, and and that's exactly what I'll, I feel like I like uh, Rob Liefeld is doing. He's talking into a, into a vacuum where you know you can say that you've tried a couple books here or there, but like. If you're only trying a couple here or there, there's you're only hitting a small actual percentage of what's out there. 
the same that's thing, limiting the same thing happens in wrestling too where so many people that watch popular wwe wrestling are, are people who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s who keep wanting to see the same guys who can't move anymore because they're too old and broken down like for whatever reason a lot of these bigger companies seem like they definitely want younger audiences. We've seen Marvel and DC really try to pull in younger audiences the last decade with different initiatives and younger characters are more diverse and stuff. But at the end of the day, when they say meat and potato comics, they're really going back and trying to cater to the same like 30 to 60 year old men who are consuming this stuff and spending money. I got to get in here. Yeah. Okay. I just I want to push back on Marco just just <laughs> quickly because because just a couple episodes ago when we were talking what were we talking about that uh uh that we got so heated it was in December it was about um it was when Ted Brandt found out his uh the pirating comics conversation Marco's big attitude was we'll let the market decide let the market decide who succeed. Well, the, I mean, Marco, the market, if the market is 30, 40, 50 year old men, that's the market. And they're trying to speak. Uh, but but it's but it's not. They're not the only market. They're the most pervasive because the biggest piece of business. But if they're the most pervasive, they're the but market. The, the, because of the, the piece of business that is provided. Like I, I also made the point that if you if all you do is put out, let's say, graphic novels or you change up the format because they are, let's say, the the biggest, they are the biggest percentage. If you change the format, if you change the stories, the they have the only option to go back to Marvel and they have to experience this new stuff. Like there, there's no way about, there's no way around that. You have to experience whatever it was, whatever it is that the, the two, the big two would be putting out at that point. That, okay. So... I got a, I got a few things to say. So fire off, King. Uh, number one, I did want to make the point that because Donnie Cates came up a few times, so we brought up uh, Absolute Carnage. It's funny because that's actually one of Rob's favorite creators, and that was his favorite book of the summer by far. <laughs> he thought that was phenomenal, and it was. And the reason why he felt that way, it's like my nineties shit. <laughs> I think context is king. And Rob Liefeld is, like a lot of creators from his time, more interested in the art than the writing. And Absolute Carnage was an artist-driven book. It was gorgeous. It's really, really great looking. The writing is strong too, but it's like worth it if there were no words type thing. And while there are beautiful books on the stands, to be sure, a lot of books are not like that. A lot of art is not necessarily kinetic. It's not like vibrant in the way that you're just like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like the first time you might have seen, you know, uh, Spider-Man by Todd McFarlane or something like that. Or even even like the X-Men stuff from the 90s that a lot of people love to dunk on. Okay, whatever, but a lot of those characters look awesome. And those designs are pervasive because they look so cool. And... I think that that's a lot of what he's saying. And I think that there is merit to that point. I don't think it's completely without merit. Um, and I think that that problem actually gets worse when you leave the big two. Because even though the books, like a lot of indie books, look great, um, 
they're not necessarily jumping out at you and grabbing you. You know, a lot of the, the, the books that we talk about in the indies, we talk about how tremendously written they were or how cerebral they are or, you know, the beautiful story that they told. And a lot of times we don't necessarily talk about how tremendous the art was. When I feel like if you were to name like 20 creators from the the era that Liefeld is talking about, <laughs> probably over half of the people you're going to name are artists because that's just what the industry was like. So there's that. Um, and then like to your point, Marco, I know we, we, we definitely went head to head on that particular episode that Kale referenced, but like um, there's just no evidence to support that the market will just say, all right, well, if, 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 if pepperoni pizza is the only thing that's out, I'm just going to eat it because I just want, because I just come here. So I'm just going to eat this, you know, like maybe people just don't go there anymore. And I think that's a worse potentiality, um, you know, and it's not just 50, 60 year olds. Like I'm in this, like I'm, I'm definitely in this. I, I guarantee you that I would not read Marvel comics anymore if they did what you suggest. And I don't feel like I'm the only person who feels like that. I feel like there's a lot of people who just won't buy anymore. Because we're buying for a reason. Like, I want to see Jean Grey. <laughs> like, I just do. <laughs> you know, that's not going to change. I want her to be there. You know, I, I, and I, like, I want certain things. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with growing up and wanting to be able to write Batman. And then getting to DC and taking your shot. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. I think that's great. Um, and I think if you kill Batman, that's that's fine for your run. But why should the next guy not have the opportunity to live out his dream? Why should DC decide they don't want to make millions of dollars? You know, like just for the sake of progression? I don't know if I buy that. I, I guess to, just to respond to the like, if if the if the books being published are, are different, like there have been there have been a number of times where uh, Sean, you'll pick up a book regardless of his quality because it has a character because it has uh or because it's like a marvel book let's say like that that i think is testament to the fact that it doesn't matter what they but you you can the 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 book or the character or the whatever it is the content is replaceable in the sense that it's it's just a factor you can you can change that factor to whatever it is but because it's being published by marvel and we've joked about it but like you're a mark for marvel you're going to pick it up i i don't think that that is i don't think that that is also something that we we should ignore there are people who would just buy a, a book because it's being published by dc there there's a there's a we all follow artists and and writers who will pick up a book regardless we may not pick it up if it's like on a smaller publisher but we do know that we will pick up a book because of the talent behind it so if you change the the character, that, that 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 doesn't matter because the the actual factor that affects it, in my opinion, is is the the quality of the story. So then, why is Immortal Hulk beating Batman? Quality, right? So what that's Batman is a way more popular character. So if your logic was correct, then Batman would sell more because people go for Batman. 
but the market is showcasing that that's not true. Right, and uh, because and, it's not, sorry, go ahead. And and to your point about like what I like, we we make jokes and stuff because it's funny that I'm a mark and stuff. But if you actually looked at my pull list, it's probably not. It's probably more indie or like not Marvel than it is Marvel. Um, and if they shifted it to where I had to spend like let's say fifteen dollars to get a graphic novel versus four dollars to buy like issue one of something that I'm not so sure is going to be great, but I love the cover or something like that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't invest in that. I, I've actually never, ever purchased a, an OGM from Marvel. Not one time. Because, strictly because, I didn't think that the material or the creative team involved was strong enough to warrant me buying it sight unseen. And I have purchased OGMs from DC because the creative team was strong enough that I thought it was worth fifteen dollars, but I'm not stupid. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, I'll, I'll take a gamble with three bucks, but I'm never gonna do that with fifteen or twenty. That's crazy. Uh, just quickly, Sean, can you give an example of what you mean by OGN between those oh, two yeah. that you would pick up? Just, just so we have a scale of. So DC did the the um, Earth One series. That, that those OGNs that they did the original graphic novels and a, a lot of those were really cool like I bought the um, the Batman one that they did I bought the Superman one oh, the yeah, Wonder yeah, Woman's okay, okay, that okay. were phenomenal uh, Grant Morrison uh, and then over at Marvel they actually did they call, I believe they call it uh, phase one or year one or season one season they did one. season one right season one and yeah. I I okay. thought that the premise was was amazing I was super hyped and then I saw the creative teams that they announced and I was like okay well I'm not buying this and I didn't buy a single one and then you never heard about any of them and they were all in clearance racks within a year or two absolutely and if and if if those same exact titles like I'm not like you don't change anything at all don't change a name don't change anything if those same books were released as six issue minis instead of one graphic novel I promise you that I would have bought the first issue of almost every single one. It's just different. Mm, I, I would just look to the book market and, 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 and say, we don't buy chapters of books. We buy books. What's the difference between an issue and a graphic novel at that point if it's literally just a collected version of a story chapter by chapter? But history is full of people buying just chapters of books. That's what the whole book market is built on. They used they to. They used to. Is my point. So, I I I I dig where you're going, but the, there's 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 two points. One is that the comics industry has a history of a built-in audience that that has shown that they want things a certain way, right? That's number one. Number two, I don't know about you, but me personally, I don't go to the bookstore. And drop twenty dollars on a book that I don't know anything about. Uh, I'm gonna read reviews. I'm gonna do my due diligence if I'm gonna think about purchasing this book. Um, and books are having a tough time because the digital market is taking over, and there's all these different factors. I feel like comic books are not equivalent to books because if I buy if I buy a bad comic book, right, and I dropped $20, I'm really pissed. 
because I got some shit art. I got some shit writing. I can't enjoy this. I can't even get through this. I can't. I can't do it. Um, but if I get one issue of a of a comic book and it's crap, all right. Well, hey, I lost out on three bucks. If I buy a, a whole book from Barnes and Noble, that's twenty dollars, and I lost out. I'm tight. I don't want to take that gamble. Do you? Uh, I don't know. I, I, th- I think I made the point on on the previous episode. Also, it was just like it that's that's scalable at that point. Like if 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 you make the the cost equal to the 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 number of issues, just scalability, and then the the way to go around that would be changing the way distribution. Like get the f- first issue for free, like a uh, like a TKO. But what are we talking about? Well, now? I know, yeah, and then the, the, but this obviously deviates like away, but um, but I agree. Comic books are not uninspired. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Well, that's it for this episode of the Comics Pals. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to take it to take it to take it to that. I don't think that the creators involved are uninspired, but I will say this: a lot of times, a lot of times. I read a book and it's good. It's quality. Like there's nothing wrong with it, but I don't have feelings about it. Like I don't feel like, oh man, that was awesome. I can't wait till the next one. And that's something that I think when, so part of this could be nostalgia, right? But I think there's also a part of it that is uh, just based on, the energy that that existed probably at that time. I wasn't even reading comics in the 90s or the 80s, but I know what people say about what it was like. And it's and I've read some of the I've gone back. And those books are are crazy. They're fun, they're exciting, they're engaging. Um and and it, and everything's new. It's the first appearance of Venom, not the 50th, you know? Uh so it really almost doesn't matter what you do with Venom at this point because I've pretty much seen it all, and like, it's most likely not going to be as cool as what Todd McFarlane did. Um, there are exceptions, right? Like, we're all down for House and Powers and what the story that Jonathan Hickman told, but I would say that that's kind of rare for you to be that excited and that motivated to read superhero stuff. And at and at this point in in that same you know era. Where the excitement's kind of faded at this point. Oh, of the for the you yeah know, yeah of, of for House and Powers and Hickman's X Men stuff right now. Right. Yeah. Whereas, like, someone who was reading, you know, that that run on Spider Man, you know, like the the McFarlane, like every issue was like, oh my god, this is insane, you know. Yeah, but it's like it's it goes back to the whole. It depends on the creator. I mean, like when Scott Snyder was putting out Batman, you know that had a similar hype level. People were into it. They were there for it. Um, and 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 in the same way that there, this used to be true with movies, and and I, I I to a lesser extent now, when when there is a really good creator on a book that you've been following forever, even if it's a superhero book, you know Grant Morrison took over Green Lantern, and I was. You know, I'm hyped for it. I'm there. Like this is a really talented creator, um, and it's a superhero book. But and you know, granted, I like Green Lantern, but you know, I wasn't reading when uh, when Venditti was writing it or whatever. I I didn't care. 
So, like, a lot of the times it depends on who's working on the title for the hype. Hickman doing House and Powers was hype because you had a really good creator who had a really fresh idea and seemingly was given unlimited leash to work on it. And just because it's a little less exciting right now that it's had this in this phase of, of, of a bunch of limiteds, I don't think I don't think that delineates from that. I, I think I think I think when it starts heating up again to where it wants to go as like a as a major story beat, people will be back in hype again. It, it's just it's kind of plotting yeah. right yeah, now, absolutely, and that's okay. But but to Kale's point though, like we 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 got twelve issues right, and then within two within like two or three issues of X Men, I was like, oh, okay, what is this, you know, um. Gone are the days, like, for, like, Tom King's run on Batman, right? Like, not, didn't light the world on fire, but that thing lasted, right? It was, like, 85 issues or whatever. Um, That doesn't really happen that much anymore. Whereas when you look at, you know, the 80s or the 70s or, you know, the 90s even of, of, of the, the big two, you saw a lot of those runs, those really long runs where you had an artist and a writer, same two people for a really long time, got in their groove, man. You know, they got in their groove. And you don't see that as much these days. That's why something like Jason Aaron's run is so incredible on Thor because of how long it was. Um, but, but like 15 issues and we're out of steam for, for, Hickman's, for Hickman's run. And so much of the credit was given to the artists who made that book look tremendous. Uh, I don't agree with what Rob Liefeld is saying. I'm presenting the I don't I don't like the phrase devil's advocate, but I see what he's talking about. Um, yeah, and that's certainly a thing we've talked about before with regard to not letting a, t- a, a, a team work on a book long term enough. The Jason Aaron example is right because it does it really does stand out as uh, kind of an exception right now because you don't see it a ton. Meanwhile, you know, it is a gamble for a Marvel and DC to do something like that because, on the other hand, it's something like Tom King's Batman. You take the most popular character in all of comic books, and, and granted, they gave it to the person who was the biggest up-and-comer and, like, the greatest rising star. Like, they, they I think... From, from a managerial standpoint, did, like, everything that was right, but, you know, it just didn't resonate with people, and it started being outsold by a mortal Hulk. Uh, which, you know, to Marvel's credit, is given Al Ewing pretty much a limitless leash to do whatever he wants with it, because in the same way, you have an artist who has a, a vision to tell a long-form story here. Um, it's just that trust administered from you know marvel or dc is not as common because it's a risk because you're if you're right about this uh hickman and x-men thing you know this is an initiative they've probably had planned out for several years and if it's already losing steam you know they might already be thinking about backing out yeah i I think in that particular case um there's probably too much writing on it because it's like a whole like there's like not just Hickman, but all these writers and all these artists. But um, 
you know, your point stands. Your point definitely stands. And uh, I, I don't know what the answer is. You know, like, I don't know how you generate uh, hits in, in, in comics the way that how some powers were a hit or, or Absolute Carnage was a hit. That was a big success. Or Deceased uh, over at uh, DC Comics uh, by Tom Taylor. That was a big success. Um, these are ideas that I think really hit with people with art that was really cool and, and exciting and, and stories that were that were fresh. Uh, even though Absolute Carnage is literally a ripoff of Maximum Carnage in, in, in like the, the general idea that you get the point. Um, I don't know. It is something to think about. But I, I did want to just before we wrap this conversation up, just flip it a little bit and not talk about the big two and look at this from the perspective of uh, just non-Big 2 comics, do you think that there is merit at all to what Rob Liefeld is saying? I, I think if you think about it, um, we, we covered this news article and it was specific to, I don't remember if it was Joe Valentino or somebody just with respect to Image who mentioned, you know, after Saga went um, uh, went on its hiatus, he he mentioned, you know, I'm I'm not as a publisher. I'm not looking for the next saga or for the next Paper Girls. You know, I'm I'm looking for the the consistent story, the the book that is, you know, drawing people in, but is just strong. It's not a crazy hit. It's not lighting people on fire. But what it is is it's consistent. It's good work, and that's what people are looking for. And I think you find that a lot in the the indie space which is or at least like in in smaller publishers dark horse um you know in, in idw what have you i think that that is the the advantage um because they don't have these established characters to work with you really have to bring in your own sort of you really have to bring in your own idea your own flavor and and i think that plays to a lot of the advantage of of the quality um so I mean, looking at it that way, I think, I think there's a lot of just just good work out there, and and that is sustainable. I I think Rob is a hypocrite for accusing this industry of being kind of devoid of original ideas, and goes on to praise a book that is both subject matter and, and character wise, just kind of a spiritual successor to another book from 20 years ago as the book of the year. Yeah. I, I hear that, but again, like I, I, I do want to make this point again, because I think the, the, the context is relevant. He loved absolute carnage because he loves Donnie Cates. And because the art was like, I don't know if you, I don't know if you've looked in that book, but that, that book looks crazy. Like it's really really good looking uh and and for someone who who you know grew up in an era where art was everything you know like it makes sense i understand that i understand that he he appreciates for him he likes he likes images to tell the story and not a dialogue i understand that And, and and to an extent i i i i sympathize with that i how often have we done uh, reviews on this show proper where i and i'm sure some of you guys get frustrated with someone like bendis or king who just plop or snyder even 
for plopping just dialogue bubbles all over the page, just like smearing up the art. It gets really frustrating because I think in anything, less is more. And I, I sympathize with that. And I'm sure Rob wants to be reading comic books that I'm sure he'd, let me rephrase. I'm sure he wants to be looking at comic books that have beautiful art. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, how, how can you, you, you can, if the context is key here, you can, you could, you could praise the art for being distinct and, 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 and masterful and, and put it on a pedestal next to all its competition in the industry today but you he doesn't do that he 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 says that you know he says everything is is repetitive or whatever while praising a book that's been done that's that's the that's the that's the joke of it yeah i i i think it's disingenuous uh for someone who went off to start his own company where you know he could do his own original things to say that comic books aren't you know original or and are uninspired like he's not he's not looking at the stuff that's out there he's he's telling people to go back and reference things from 25 years ago which is fine and he's not right he's not wrong like the things that he and Jim Lee and everyone did 25 years ago was innovative and different and it changed the industry on its head uh but when you sit there on twitter and you're telling people to go check something that's been done before and you don't preface it by saying like the art really stands for itself or whatever because it's really distinct and you you i I haven't looked in the book and i'm not taking away from the art of that book i'm just describing it on 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 description alone and what he's doing is praising something that does not genuine genuinely represent what he has talked about from 25 years ago or whatever it's all it's all surface level. Man, comics peaked in the nineties. Let's just just admit it. <laughs> Let's shut this shit down. <laughs> so so we're gonna end on we're gonna end on an exchange that I thought was interesting on Twitter. Um and so there was a, a tweet that went out in response to the uh tweet that, that Hick uh Hickman that Liefeld put out where he mentioned how there's, there's, this is not a resurgence of creativity. The, the, these books are endless talk fests. Uh, someone said, nah, image of today is far better. Hickman on East of West, Black Monday Murders, Brubaker with Criminal, uh, Rucka and Lark on Lazarus. Uh, and then he goes on to name you know, a bunch of creators, Warren Ellis, Garth Ennis, Grant Morrison. And Eric Larson uh, actually responds, uh, who obviously created Savage Dragon. And he said, Honestly, it's the difference between Annie Hall and Star Wars. Yes, Annie Hall won the Academy Award for Best Picture in 77, but there's no denying that viewers flock to see Star Wars. Present day image is Annie Hall. 1992 image was Star Wars. Fans were excited to be reading Image Comics in 92. They were really enthusiastic. And while I would not argue that all of the stories were well-crafted on a technical level, there was a raw energy to the books, which was both exciting and infectious. 
to which Liefeld responded, I would advise against diminishing the works of this era, as I have heard and seen up close and personal how near and dear these comics, stories, art, and characters are to the fans of that age. They hold these books in the highest regard. They thrilled them to the core. Eric Larson responded, I think they're great. I also think Jack Kirby's work is great, but Jack's critics focus on the details which weren't realistic in Jack's worse in Jack's work, and obsessing on squiggles and square fingers and knees, missing the overall impact and effect and power of his work. A lot of artists lose what made their work compelling over time, and this applies to musicians too. <coughs> yes, they're better technically, but something is missing. They lost an intangible quality in the process of refining their art. Damn, that was good. Yo, Rob Liefeld, let me see those feet. <laughs> <laughs> um, it it, it kind of reminds me of that Alan Moore thing from a few weeks ago where his daughter was like, I just don't think my dad's been looking at these books. Yeah. Yeah, to some extent, yeah. Yeah. I think I think there's I think there's a lot of good points on both sides. That's the and so whatever take that. Of all. <laughs> it's not a take, you fool. I gave, I just spent the last twenty minutes giving my take. <laughs> uh, and so when that's the case, we leave it up to you, the audience, to vote. Vote with your dollar. Vote with your 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 tweets. You know, whatever. However it is that you're gonna say how you feel. Uh, that's the way that the industry is going to respond and and know what direction they're supposed to go. Um, And that's the way we're going to know who's right or wrong on this damn show. How else can we know? Um, And of course, if you want to let us know who you think is right or wrong or just weigh in in general, you can do so by writing to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can get us on social media at thecomicspals. If you're on YouTube right now, you can drop us a comment. While you're there, also leave us a like. Share this video with your friends and subscribe to our channel. All those things are free to do and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. And we really appreciate it. So with that, we're going to do some plugs. Kale. Oh, shit. Yeah, Pete's not here. You can find his stuff at uh, loud underscore Pete. He does a thing with uh, uh, Loot Pots. They do a video game podcast called Loot something or other. Loot Pots, I guess. They discuss continuity. You find him. You'll find him. Uh, you can find me at Toto in Toe, that's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W, on Twitter and Instagram. I've been having a lot of fun with these, uh, 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 roulette, uh, quiz things on Instagram stories. <laughs> so if you want to go see how dumb they, how dumb I look, uh, on my Instagram stories, I highly recommend it. Uh, you can find my work, uh, at kaleward.com, that's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com, along with a podcast I do with my wife called uh, Gone Global. Uh, uh, we should have a new episode up this week. Maybe we will. I don't know. If she starts talking to you again. Uh, yo! <laughs> Marco. The future is not right. <laughs> you, can, you can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Come uh, join the Discord and tell me why should we should burn it all down. Um, and oh, and uh, I just set up my my website, so you can come visit me at marcocunalata.com, M A R C O C U N A L A T A. And yes, come talk to me about comics, the Lock and Key trailer, and why we're all excited about it. And 
indie shit. Wow, Marco, there's a lot of butt plugs on this website. A lot. Yeah, yeah, actually. Uh, so my favorites are listed chronologically in the section called bio. Okay. The, the Dragon <laughs> Slayer? What is that? <laughs> Phil. Yeah, sorry. I, uh, this is a very interesting website. Uh, you can follow me at Cyborg Bebop and uh, tell me why you think Christian Bale would make a very good Jersey Batman or Puck <laughs> or Canadian Wolverine. I think, uh, hell, he could play Rob Liefeld if he wanted. <laughs> Actually, that would be a really good casting, I think. <laughs> yeah, that would, that's not too far off. It's not too far off uh so yeah and uh i'll join the discord eventually okay as for me <laughs> oh don't forget that al ewing uh thing that's dropping this yes week. yes yeah yeah check it out as for me uh you can find me on twitter and instagram only at sean soapbox <sighs> hit me up to talk about uh gene gray really quite frankly in 2020 uh gene gray is everything <laughs> yeah. in 2020 yeah yep uh, i don't know if you guys knew this but today is gene gray day Oh, is it yeah. now? Again? What? I thought every day was Gene Gray. Anyway. And with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. Bye. Oh, and by the way, Phil, you and I are done professionally. Oh. Had a good run. Bye. Bye.